Hey folks, welcome to the Technicolor Postcast. I'm Kate Wisman, and today I'm joined by Rachel Matchett, the worldwide head of Technicolor Visual Effects. Rachel has spent the last decade in senior management positions overseeing films including The Jungle Book, The Life of Pi, and Blade Runner 2049. I'm also joined by Joe Hughes, award-winning senior visual effects producer for Mr. X. Joe is behind titles like Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak, Resident Evil Retribution, and Paul W.S. Anderson's upcoming action thriller Monster Hunter. So I'm so happy you two are both here um, to do this. And I think it's interesting that you are both originally from across the pond. (laughs) I didn't know that until I kind of did some research. Obviously, I knew you were because of your accent. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to be curious to see if there's any kind of uh, points in this conversation where you guys are actually going to have a similar person that you know or a neighborhood or something. I'm hoping that that'll come up. Um, So I wanted to kind of dive into career history, you know, um, the path you took to get to the current position you're in, you know, childhood interests, like you name it. It's all interesting, I think, to our listeners, education um, and inspiration. So Rachel, would you like to start? Sure. Um, let's delve back in time. Let's uh, <laughs> go way back. How far do you go back? Um, well, I guess started off at art college after passing various hideous exams and, you know, teenage times, um, headed off to art college to be an illustrator and had grand aspirations as to what I was going to be able to achieve in all of this kind of amazing world of art I guess that I was really really into but it became very you know quickly apparent to me that it was a massive world where you wouldn't necessarily all of a sudden get a really great paycheck and have sort of <laughs> yeah. job security yeah. and so I think um, the way I went about it was very much art college came home lived with the parents uh, amazing parents put up with me, fantastic, and then realised, hang on a minute, I really need to just go out and get a solid job in a field that I'm comfortable in, a creative field. So that's me hopping on a plane from Northern Ireland, not Scotland, uh, <laughs> um, to London just over 20 years ago and finding out that there's such a thing as a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you get in, you're, you know, you're buying the toilet roll, you're making the teas... Yep. Um, and then, you know, you're just getting to know people. Um, is this way too much information? No, no, or just, okay, not just talk, at all. Okay. I'm curious if, so were your parents, like, as far as you going into the arts or that, was it like, go for it, Rachel? Yeah, it wasn't oh, like, be a nurse, be a teacher. It wasn't anything like that. They it, were pretty... It, it, they, I mean, I had a, a wonderful uh, brother and sister that went before me in terms mm. of um, breaking a mould of what may be you know, a, a normal, quote-unquote, job should be. Um, oddly, they went to something called marketing, uh, <laughs> which was really weird, because, like, how do you get paid in marketing? Yeah. Um, but um, I think that my parents weren't sure how I would get the day-to-day paycheck. Mm-hmm. How are you going to support yourself? Are we going to be paying for you to be living out of some, you know, bed sit for the next 30 years or whatever? Um but they were incredibly supportive of letting me get out there and give it a go. Like a good crack. Like, seriously, I had a, a an airplane ticket that had a three-week window 
where I would go out to London and then three weeks later I would come back from London because that was my three-week window to try and make something work. Um, sleeping on my friend's bedroom floor, going out there, and I never took that return ticket home because I made it work. Amazing. It, and, and, it, and it is, it's like, would I do it now? No. <laughs> but I think at that stage when you've got the energy, the effort, you're in with your friends, um, it's tempting, it's just knowing that you need to be good at math and make the, the rent check at the end of the month um, yeah. but yes incredibly supportive parents uh, and I guess you know ones that have been highly educated that there is another world out there that they would never have known about they still wouldn't necessarily understand exactly what we do in terms of you know making like my dad wouldn't get into he would he really wants to know but just understanding but how do you how do you actually just make those images come up on screen? Like, how do you, what's explaining CGI? Yeah. I, yeah. I go into, you know, like, well, you remember like fuzzy felt, the way you'd like have stuff cut out <laughs> and you'd like place, try and, or, or I go into Fisher Price mode, you know. Um, but yes, incredibly supportive parents and, and uh, now, you know, ones that are just very, very happy that I've been able to find a groove in it. Mm. Nigel, what about you? Kind of a similar... Yeah, I would say similar. I think my 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 dad definitely was always suggesting careers where I could make a lot of money. He's like, why don't you learn to be a pilot? You, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I wouldn't be interested in that. And I'd always, I'd always loved making things, whether it was like with um, clay or painting or drawing or writing. I was very creative as a kid. And I loved television. I loved comedy. And, and I, in my, I would say, early teens, sort of saw this path working in the entertainment industry and I always imagined I'd end up working for the BBC in London you know I never saw myself moving abroad um, and I liked comedy and I thought I would like to work on a sitcom and I'll live in London and I'll work for the BBC and I think my my parents I say my dad because he was maybe a bit more vocal about what my career choices might be with these proposals of things that would make me wealthy um, and uh, and I think he just couldn't quite see how it was going to work. I think he always thought I could do it, but he couldn't understand it. And he said to me a few years ago, you know, he's like, oh, you've done, you know, you've done amazing in your career. And I just never really could get my head around how it was going to come together. But it really has. And I think similar to you, it was about, um, you know, just knocking on doors and doing entry-level jobs and proving myself to people and then being given opportunities along the way to prove that I could do more and do more and do more. Um, I never planned on getting into visual effects early on. I was, uh, I, I worked, my first job actually out of university, I was lucky enough to get an internship on uh, Tim Burton's Corpse Bride, stop motion oh, cool. animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good first okay. job. Yeah, I do know somebody that worked on that. We can talk about that okay. later. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that might be the one because MPC did the visual effects on it. Yeah. Um, and that internship, somebody, while I was interning, I had a four week internship. One of the production assistants resigned and I applied for the job. And so I was the production assistant to the production manager. So I worked on it for the last, I think it was the last five or six months of production in the production office, helping with scheduling and during the internship as well as when I was actually employed there, getting to see the animators work. And I think stop motion was a really 
incredible crash course in filmmaking because it's so expensive, it's so slow and painstaking. You kind of have to get it right the first time. You can't do 10, 15 takes. Maybe you get two takes. You know, it takes a day or two days or three days or four days to get minimal seconds of animation. So, you know, the, the, the planning that had to go into it and just being able to physically see what a rig looked like. I think that actually really helped me when I got to visual effects and you, you know, Rachel was saying, trying to explain to her dad in terms of fuzzy felt or Lego or whatever it was to how, how things come onto screen. I was already able to kind of see in my mind's eye what was happening in the computer, even though I don't have any education in, in really how animation itself works in, in CG. I'd seen it really happening in, in front of me. Um, so I think that was, I was very lucky to get that uh, opportunity and to to get to get hired and, and work with that team, um, and from there I, I I worked on a couple of independent films and and then I came to Canada <clears throat> came to Canada and I I uh, I worked in I produced a couple of music videos and um, and then I ended up working in editorial in in commercials, which was it was nice it was I met some wonderful people but I wasn't that passionate about the storytelling that was happening at the commercial level I'm much more interested in um, the entertainment and the long format storytelling that we can you know what you can achieve if you have an hour or 90 minutes or two hours to tell a story and so after a few years of doing that I approached Dennis Barati who founded Mr X and said, you know, I'm interested in getting back into long format and I think visual effects is a really interesting place to tell stories. Um, and that was 10 years ago and I've been doing that ever since. Wow, I always think it's interesting when you hear, you know, oh, the, this person, they were looking for, this person quit and then I had this opportunity. Like you hear that all the time with people when they kind of, there is a bit of luck too, right? Completely. And timing mm -hmm. and yeah. stuff that goes into it. I think, and I think, you know, she was saying it's, it, just getting into that first level of energy of knowing that you've got to be the the, the grunt person, mm -hmm. the runner that's going to be picking up and then the relationships that you build on that, you know, you make the best cup of tea or you make the worst cup of tea so you can get promoted. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever your, you know, your tactic is. Um, and I guess in, in London, you know, it, it is a very small knit community. So like my first job running was on a show called The Big Nights. Um, and that team... Uh, has gone on to make Peppa Pig. Wow. And Peppa. it's like, and so like I laugh at just, you know, oh my goodness, Mark and Nev, they like, and they're the best people that you'll ever meet in terms of their energy, their effort, their, you know, uh, the respect of what they do of putting all of their creative energy into a piece of work. Um, and that was like BBC Worldwide. So mm. it was, so from there, then that was like a connection for me to my next job, which was in a small traditional animation studio that did music videos commercials but that was light boxes that was you know the proper old school right you know in betweening and all of that kind of good stuff that then led on to you know well what's the next step and that was the visual effects step for me um but like what you were saying with the corpse bride you know you realize that everything that we do today is is just advancements in technology that you know you just hop skip and jump you know 10 20 years ago and, you know, a rig, all the terminology that kids today are growing up with and they haven't experienced that we've experienced, you know, <laughs> well, a render actually came from this thing that somebody used to do or the, you know, tweening that you can do in Flash was actually because of, the, you know, all the different 
terminologies have all established themselves from these amazing artists that unfortunately over time, I guess, you know, if they're not keeping up with these advancements, they sometimes, you know, have to, you know, move on or do other things in their careers. And I think that's kind of a big, oh gosh, I just went on a bit of a, a diner moment. But, um, you know, in terms, of, <laughs> in terms of just understanding that today's technologies are very much based on stuff, I guess, that Joe and I have definitely both come from bottom level up yeah. to really fully appreciate the energies that go into it now to make, make it look amazing on the screen. Hey, Joe, what are some of the projects that you've worked on at Mr. X? Uh, I've worked on... Uh, my first project at Mr. X was Tron Legacy. Uh, and then I did uh, a couple of Paul Anderson movies. We did uh, we did Three Musketeers and Resident Evil, um, Pompeii. I worked on Zoolander 2 in New, in New York. I was in New York for six months. An Ang Lee movie called Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which was very technologically challenging. It was 120 frames per second at 4K. And at the time, nowhere in the world could play 120 frames per second at 4K. So we were watching our work at 60 frames per second at 4K. And then there was a facility in, I think it was a Sony facility in New York that was trying to be ready so that we could show Ang. Mm. the work at the frame rate and the resolution that he wanted. It was very challenging, um, but it was, it, was a, it was an education for sure in, in what technology is capable of. Yeah. It is, yeah. It's funny because like, you've reminded me when um, the panic of like going from, you know, 2K. Yes. For, and, and it's funny because I, I'm having flashbacks now to the drama of World War Z oh. so when we worked on it and it, it again was an amazing show that was um, that's Brad the Brad Pitt zombie that is the Brad Pitt zombie yes I have seen that uh, yes um, absolutely no relation to the book I'm a complete zombie freak and um, but I, I as soon as I got my name on that credit I thought I'm done because I just I've, I've worked on a zombie movie now <laughs> I'm done check. I can do every check Jungle Book what yeah um <laughs> But in terms of the drama that it might be, like, 3K? Oh, yeah. And your brain's just going, well, how does that even compute? How do we ingest? How does that work? What does it mean in terms of, like, um, the size of screens that, you know, yeah. artists... And it's on, like, and now you're just going, eh, 4K. You know, you, you bring up HD on your, yeah. <laughs> on your, you know, monitor, and it's, like, this big. It's I'm, so weird. When I worked in commercial editorial, I was there for the shift from SD to HD. Amazing. That was a huge deal. Oh my goodness, all of like the prosthetics, all yeah. of that. Kind of, I remember sort of thinking there's a show called like Casualty in the UK and I remember that being used as an example of like how you, um, people would have like fake, a fake scar on their eyebrow and for like, you know, SD you'd get away with it but HD, oh my goodness, you can see every single yeah, poor bit patch. of blue. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, <gasps> the dra and that feels like it was only five years ago but it was probably... It was longer than that, yeah. <laughs> well, in Crim you worked on Crimson Peak as well. I did, yeah. Like, I'm going to mention these in the intro but I know that was, yeah. that's one that must have I been interesting. I loved working with Guillermo. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, he's maybe one of my, my favourite directors that I've that I've worked with he's definitely up there I, I also love working with Paul Anderson he's he's just so passionate about these very fun movies that he's making and and Guillermo is passionate about his work in a completely different way but 
yeah, it was it was very inspiring to work with Guillermo. Um, and it was a nice project. I loved the work that we did. I thought it was a very sweet, kind of Hitchcockian, grotesque story. I, I yeah, I, I was very proud to work on that one. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you guys have like a specific mentor that you can recall that you was like kind of pivotal in getting you on the path to where you are now? Either of you guys? I mean, I, I think in terms of my career in visual effects, it would be Dennis Barati and Sarah McMurdo, who are both at, at Mr. X. You know, Dennis has, I think, definitely built this company where if you express a desire to prove yourself, to try something new, he's completely open to supporting that and giving you an avenue to try something. Um, and just continues to do that. I see him doing that for multiple people across every department. Um, and Sarah is a, a very strong manager. And I think of all the many things that I've learned from her, the the one that really sticks with me is about finding your own management style. You know, she, I, I forget exactly how she phrased it, but she was kind of coaching me with something and, and she's never kind of asked me to, to, to do something the way she does it. She's like, well, these are the, the things we need to do and you'll find your own way of, of doing it. And so I, it's been really great as I gained confidence and, and a feeling of competency to develop my own management style. And and that's something that I've, off, advice that I've also offered to other people as I've seen them coming up and feeling a bit tentative. It's like, you don't have to be me. Or you don't have to be someone else. You can be you, just grow some confidence and, and that will help you inspire other people to do really well in what they're doing. I don't think I've got any key mentor per se. Um, I mean, when I first came in to the business, um, there's a wonderful producer called Claire Jennings, uh, who is my first boss. And I think this is what makes me feel, because I know we'll talk about diversity and, you know, being women in visual effects and that. I've just never seen that there's an issue and maybe in terms of, you know, having to feel like uh, you need to be a strong woman. And it probably is because my first boss was an incredibly strong woman who was budgeting and managing a show, but also had such a great sense of humour, such humility, um, and would get set the example of, this is how I do it, but, you know, there's a form, there's no, it's not rocket science what we need to do, so do it in your own way. Because I would totally agree with that in terms of knowing as you go through. And again, it you know, comes with getting older, doesn't it? You kind of see sure. that, that <laughs> you know where your benchmark is in terms of what the drama needs to be versus picking battles and, hey, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it, it, I've probably had mentors along the way that I haven't even noticed that they've influenced me. Um, but not one, definitely not one as strong as what you're saying in terms of like, and also from a creative angle, I guess that's the other thing with what your your vision is, Joe, in terms of how you move forward. For me, it's just always been about making sure that you can kind of make the best of the situation that you've got, but then being the the strong leader for everybody else, yeah. which is exactly what you're saying as well. Yeah, well, and I know um, one thing that we started Last year with WIFT was we've got a three-week mentorship. For people who are trying to see what their options are for visual effects, it's a great opportunity. So they can come in and they work with, you know, everyone from producers to artists to 
visual effects supervisors, they even get a one-on-one -on -one chat with yourself, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think that there's there's a lot more opportunities now for for women coming into even post. Like I know WIF does it with all sorts of like post-production. They have a mentorship. There's like a writing one, um, producing. So it's nice to see that those things are more available to women now. Because I know when I was younger, I didn't like what is it your guidance we called it guidance counselors yeah. i don't know if you guys had something similar it's like career career yeah. guidance yeah there was yeah. no options <laughs> like there weren't a whole lot of options well, so just like type it into a computer and then bing you yeah know, it's like some algorithm you're gonna be take this ticket and go off and you know from a list be a of 30 careers yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah oh so if you had to look back on the projects you've worked on what would you guys say are the ones you're the most proud of Okay, well, it's easy for me because it was The Jungle Book. Right. And I guess um, of all of the shows that I've worked on in my time in visual effects, it was the one that was groundbreaking in terms of, I guess, the technology. Um, also, the the sheer... Because a lot of what we do in visual effects, it's, it's generally integration of, you know... Uh, the visual effects into a plate, into into the, the live action side. Um, so you're waiting for that turnover to come in. You're you know you've got your various checks and balances to get stuff. Jungle Book was pretty much full CG, bar you know um, Mowgli and and various um, things that he would have had to interact with. So from building a team, the right casting, you know, navigating uncharted territory in terms of what the technology is and um, working with John Favreau in terms of just knowing what his vision is and how to translate that onto the screen as well, because that would have been his first big project. Um, and also an incredibly well-loved project and, yeah. you know, a very well-known one. So if you do it badly, it's not going to go well yeah. with everybody. <laughs> um, and so I think that for me was a real crescendo moment of all of the different shows that I've worked on over the years to getting to a point where you're going, oh, okay, we now need to really see what we have to do to plan this as effectively as possible. But again, there was no rule book at the time in terms of how we would do it. How many people were you? Like, what was the size of the team on that film? Gosh, Okay. I know it was a while ago, so I'm going way. If you... No, 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 no. I mean, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll quote numbers, and somebody will go. Actually, Rachel, I think you'll find. We'll, we'll fact check it. I think it. you'll find. <laughs> but you know, easily 800 people wow. globally, massive teams um, around the world. Uh, so yeah, no, I think yeah, Jungle Book by far is is the one project that is a real standout for me. What about you, Joe? It's a difficult question because I think. There's a reason that I'm that, like, they're all my babies and I'm proud of all of them for different reasons, either because I love the end product or I had a wonderful time with the crew working on them. Or even if they were really hard, I'm proud of something that we achieved through adversity or that I learned. I think, though, uh, it's probably going to end up being Monster Hunter that I'm working on right now mm. um, because... It's a film that we've been involved in from development. So we were we have a very strong relationship with the director, um, Paul W. S. Anderson, and Dennis and he go back 
decades. And, uh, and so we were helping with concept art and, and helped put together the pitch book that they took to find financing for the film. And we, uh, we actually shot um, as part of the pitch uh, in the Eaton Centre here in Toronto, and we made these monsters based on what we'd seen from the video game, uh, and uh, and put together this kind of sizzle reel, which was part of the package that that they took to get financing across the world, and and then obviously we've been involved from kind of script and previs and postvis and production and and all of the usual steps. So it's been something that you know I was involved. I can't even remember. I think it was maybe five or at this point, probably six years ago that we started working on it. Wow, that long. Yeah. Eh? And I've gone away and I've done many other films in the meantime while all of the pieces had to come together to get production going. But um, yeah, it's just been something that we've, you know, been involved in really from the ground up. And that's, it's going to just be so wonderful to see it finally on screen with all the pieces and the, the sound that we don't get to hear in the review all the time right. in visual effects. Um, and the final color and just seeing it all come together is going to be a very satisfying conclusion to a long journey that a lot of people have poured a lot of creative energy into. Now, when do they know approximately when that one's going to be in theaters? Uh, September 2020, I think, is the oh, okay. premiere. Yeah. That's not that far away. Not that far away. Someone just <laughs> sent me tiff dates for my calendar i'm like are you kidding me it's winter here i want it to be summer we're not thinking about fall oh. um well it's funny so that just segues into my next thing that i was going to bring up and mm. it's interesting that you brought that up um you know the importance of being a part of a project from script to screen and i know like in technicolor visual effects that's one thing that we talk about a fair bit with our supervisors and like with kevin shandu here in toronto yeah. Yeah. so like for for those type of projects too i guess it's important to have our our supervisors and creative directors right, it would just make it easier like as as the project moves along if you're in at the ground level i would oh, think yeah. right no completely and, and and you know to joe's point as well it's it's the sooner you know we're able to get onto a project, the sooner you're building that relationship, you're building that shorthand, and you're seeing where you can, you know, make sure you're making the best of whatever budget yeah. clients have. Because I think sometimes a script will be a bit misleading in terms of what it might say um, versus what maybe you know we we would have to be able to put on screen. So uh, you know the fact that somebody like Kevin or Paul in LA or Gary in London could be at the get-go reviewing a script, talking to the director, you know, if the, if the, if the budget allows, they've got a VFX um, soup on their side as well. Um, that's the journey that you really want to get started at, right from the get-go because then you know exactly what you're dealing with and you've been there from A to Z. And I guess the, the technicolor, as technicolor VFX aspect of it is from script to screen is that moment of going, well, if you're on set, you see where all the, you know, inconsistencies are with what we intended to shoot versus, uh, you know, actually being able to step in at the point and say, well, if you just shoot from this angle, you probably could save yourself a few shots this way and then that money could go to this other shot. That You know, that whole relationship is so key. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, productions maybe don't appreciate, you know, the, the, the value of having uh, on-set presence from visual effects there because the whole fix it and post you know adage <laughs> Joe's shaking her head yeah, yeah. 
breaks my heart. <laughs> no, I know. It's it's. Uh, but I guess, um, of course, we can fix it in post. Of I'm course. not saying that we couldn't. But in terms of then budget challenges or even schedule challenges, you know, you can get out ahead of that at at, at the start. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the key thing of being able to do that to then bring it in, get the visual effects done, and of course within. Technicolor VFX with Technicolor Post as well. You've got the potential of it all being hand in hand, like big happy family. You're having your grade done here. You're nipping up to visual effects. That's the back and forth, whether it be the sound, and and that's the whole encompassing, I guess, script screen piece. Right. Um, Current state of the visual effects industry and inclusion of women and diversity, like. Can you guys speak to that from your experience or from maybe the teams that you manage? You know, have you seen a shift in the last five years as far as the diverse, your diverse teams? I, I think I've always found the production teams to be the most well-balanced of every department. I don't know if you've seen agree. the same thing. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is great to be a part of. Um, but... I I do think that we're still lacking a lot of female leadership in the creative departments and maybe some of the much more technical departments. Um, and I, you know, when I've been on uh, on set and in production meetings at various productions, I don't really see it there either. And again, it is changing. And I've I've been involved in some kind of extracurricular projects which were almost entirely female produced, directed. You know, like. Cinematographer. It was really cool to see that that talent is out there. It's just still finding its way into the more mainstream commercial industry. Um, It tended to be more on the independent side that I was seeing that. Um, So I just really look forward to seeing more and more of that. And I think it is gaining momentum and it is definitely gaining a lot of attention Mm -hmm. that there is this deficiency of balance in the leadership side. Um, But yeah, I, I do think it's changing. I just look forward to seeing it change. It's a generational thing, isn't More it? More yeah, it's going to yeah. Yeah. I think it, yeah, and again, because my brain was going, well, production's pretty healthy in terms of, you know, that balance and it definitely is that creative arena and I know there's been a lot of work done um in terms of outreach to schools that mm. I've seen, you know, within the, the the well, within London and the UK and um I think it's it really does just start at home, do you know, in terms of just that expectation. But, you know, like growing up, my parents wouldn't have known there'd have been an industry like this for me to go into. Do you know? <laughs> same, same. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they would have been the career, they plug it into the career advice machine. And it's like, being rich, you'll go and work at, you know, Sainsbury's or wherever, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever exciting job. But um, I think it's it is fantastic that everybody's now consciously making an effort. And, and I was saying to Kate earlier, you know, you go through your career not even realising that you're influencing anybody else. I don't know if you you find this yourself, but you don't... I don't walk around going, I'm Rachel and I'm a woman and I'm going to be influencing <laughs> yes. visual effects in this way. And the fact that I would walk into the room and I'm an authority figure that people are going to go, wow, how did you get there? You're a woman. That's amazing. What, you know... Um, because no, you're it, just you. It doesn't cross your mind. It doesn't cross your mind. No. It's just you and, and it's just yeah. a personality. And I think it's more of a, the more that uh, the industry has the opportunity to hire women, 
and you know bring them into the industry because more are coming out of colleges and more aware that there is an industry out there for them because at the end of the day when you're judging a showreel you're not you're looking at the work you're not looking at well let me just check what what the name is here completely yeah <laughs> and i think that's the real test right there i don't think anybody would consciously be I think there is definitely a need to consciously make the effort to encourage more yeah. of an awareness and also us being more conscious that we can have an impact by going to, to the schools or mm-hmm. doing podcasts or being part yeah. of a, you know, women in film and television, um, you know, mentorship schemes. Yeah, I think that's... for young girls to go, oh, I, I could do that. You know, she did that. She worked hard. I work hard. I yeah. could be that person one day. Yeah. You know. And also, and and this might be this might be a sensitive point, but something that you know, what you said, um, that I that I kind of locked onto was um, coming up sometimes in in our generation or I'll say my generation, women in authoritarian positions weren't necessarily. Uh, you know, people you'd want to aspire to be. You'd see that, and, and this is, maybe this is a little bit, you know, two-dimensional, but, you you know, they, they've obviously got to a position where they've had to be quite tough figures and they're not necessarily approachable. They're a little bit sort of, you know, standoffish and you think, gosh, if I need to be that kind of person to get to that level, then I'll never get there because I'm way too wanting to be down the pub, having a laugh, you know, having a chance to, like, chat with people and get to know them. Right. And therefore, you know, I could never be in a position where I could, like, command a room or talk, you know, to people or be a position of leadership. And I think that's something I've seen a sea change in, in knowing that there's many more wonderful women out there who are getting a chance now to get to these positions and just be themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what you were saying with Sarah as well, is that moment yeah. of going... We this is the job we need to get done. Do it in your way. Find your way, yeah, and be comfortable in your way of doing it, and then it will just it will it will come. It will work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's so important. I think too, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it too. Even just with when you think about leadership roles in general, it would be nice to see a whole swing that way, where you don't necessarily have to be that, you know, book thumping you know, VP, not approachable. Maybe it, it is great that women are adding this new dimension when it comes to those positions, you well, know? It's, it's just even, you know, and I'm not the biggest social media hound, like I certainly don't want my life put out there, but in terms of just now seeing, um, <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself, but you like, Lady Gaga being supportive of Katy Perry or, you know, Katy Perry, you know, not... Whereas before the, the whole... Um, Oh, God, I really wish I hadn't started saying this. But the whole, you know, <laughs> hideousness of people pitching women against each other yeah. or thinking there needs to be this kind of, you know, cat fights, you know, like, yeah. ooh. And all of a sudden, you know, social media is given a platform where they can go, no, you go for it, really supportive of this, or you're amazing, or I love you dearly, or whatever, instead of this. And I think that's something I've seen change a lot in the last 20 years that I've been in production is that moment of being able to be more supportive. Yeah, women supporting women is amazing. Yes. Yeah. That's my point with, like, the Katy Perry's and the... <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm here for what you. What Joe said. <laughs> I think, too, kids, it's just, it's a different... It'll be... Time needs to pass for 
the kids that are like 16 now to be 25, 30. Mm-hmm. And then it's just going to be so different. Because I look at, I have two boys, 16 and 12, and just the way they are, their awareness and not seeing people by their gender or by their race or anything like they just see the world in a totally different way right and it'll be interesting to see you know fast forward 15 years and what it's going to be like I think that's kind of cool yeah no absolutely um do you guys ever feel any pressure representing women in visual effects I think as Rachel said I don't I'm not really aware aware of my impact on other people as a, like an inspiring figure. I don't think of myself that way. I just yeah. show up and I do my work. So I, I I don't think I do feel that pressure. Maybe I should be more aware of that impact that we all have on one another. But um, I, I would say I, I don't feel it personally. I just think that it's great to empower everybody on my team, whatever their gender is, to find their niche, their style, their what their path is going to be to their next step, their next project, their next role. Um, and if they're, you know, there's some people I work with who they love what they're doing and they're not actually interested in moving up to the next step. They just want to be absolutely excellent at what they do. And then you can empower them to just to just grow at doing that instead of focusing on what their next skill set is going to be. Um, so I, I, maybe I should, but I, I would say that I, do, hands up, I don't, I don't feel any pressure. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's a really interesting question because, um, I mean, giving it some thoughts, I think what's been good is being more aware of needing to be aware. Yes. I'm kind of, I have noticed that I need to be conscious of how I would act in meetings or... Um, you know, how I would conduct myself could be a moment where somebody sees uh, me being, you know, the the, 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 the the person that's like, oh, God, Rachel's so assertive or, oh, my God, she didn't even let that person speak or, you know, be the person that I wouldn't want to, wanted to aspire to as the female leader mm. versus also, you know, if you are in a room and it's majority male... And you've got a few junior females there, you know, being conscious to not be the one that doesn't speak, you know, the one that isn't, you know, submissive or constantly in agreement. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. I think to feel like it is important to speak your mind. And Joe was talking earlier about the confidence, just having confidence, because I think it takes a while on your journey to just build the confidence that you know what you're talking about. That's definitely something that I went through. When I first started going to production meetings, um, you know, being in the room with the director and the producers and the, all the heads of department, and it was, you know, I was one of maybe four people in a room of 30 or 40 guys. And I don't know if it was just feeling more on the junior side or if it was that I was one of the few women there, but I definitely found myself, I'll think of something and I'll be like, should I say this? And then somebody else would say it and I'd be like, oh, I should have said it. And I actually went to improv classes. I did a couple of improv classes with Second City, not specifically for that, but I also enjoy writing, so I wanted to kind of reignite that. And and I, it really woke something up in my brain that was that just made it okay to say what I f- was thinking or say what my idea was or how I felt about something. And if it wasn't right, it didn't matter. 
we're all just human and here to kind of share our ideas. And so I would then bring up my thought before the guy said it or before whoever said it, it was always a guy. <laughs> because it was mostly men in the room. Of course, <laughs> no, of course. And that's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that really helped me on my journey to feeling much more assured of who I was and what I thought and, and, and it being okay also to make a mistake but also okay to have an opinion and stand behind it. I think it's so cool that you did an improv class. It was so yes, much fun. And I think it's really great that... Uh... <laughs> I think that's so I would never do that. almost makes me break out into like full body sweats. It was, <laughs> Thinking of doing that. It was so much fun. Oh, gosh, yeah. that's so neat. Yeah, yeah, I did it with Second City in Toronto. That's amazing, because yeah. they're like, they're the top dogs, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. I would recommend everybody does it. I wish I'd done it when I was younger, because I definitely struggled with my confidence in my teens and my early 20s, and I I wish my parents had known about it to throw me into it when I was a teenager, because it just, I don't know, it just, uh, it really changed my approach to a lot of things in my personal life, in my work life. I highly recommend it. Wow. <laughs> no. Kid, let's yeah. do it. 2020 <laughs> class. I think too, and obviously it's a different situation from, from my job, but there is, I think, something to be said about learning the environment of the room before you speak up. Because I, I don't know if it's a generational thing now, but I, I always thought it was there's an advantage to figuring out the pecking order and not overstepping and having, you know, the respect for the director or respect for whoever. Because um, I think there, there's something to be said about that as well. But like you said, when you do have that really great idea mm -hmm. to say it, you know, because um, sometimes you're just supposed to listen no matter who you are, Absolutely. right? Depending oh, on who's talking. Oh, no, yeah. no I mean, it's the, the whole read the room is yeah. is so important, but it is that moment, like the amount of times where you just bit your tongue because, you cause, you know, you know that you're going to say something that's going to upset that person that's, you know, got a little bit sensitive ego to do such a... But you would be completely valid to say it because yeah. you've got equal experience. And again, it's not necessarily... A male female thing it's just that yes we're generally in rooms that are pretty 98 percent male and two yeah. percent female so it's just the the nature of the beast just yeah. statistics at that point yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah no completely and then, and then it's the personality factor you know so that yeah. is regardless yeah so kind of looking forward what uh what excites you guys about the future of visual effects Oh my God! What what is exciting to you? Like even from like a technology point of view, I don't know. Do we want to talk about de aging? I don't know. Like that seems to be the thing that's always everyone's talking about these days. But like, is there something like kind of on the cusp technology wise that it really inspires you guys? Or not strictly answering your question, what's exciting for me this year? I'm gonna. So right now I'm a visual effects producer, and I'm actually gonna on my next project be a visual effects supervisor. Yes, great, fantastic. I'm very excited about and I'm I can't think of very many other female visual effects supervisors so I'm definitely feeling the pressure on that one. Yeah. <laughs> to to represent um can you I, say the project or is it still on the down low? It's on the down low. Okay. Right yeah. Um <laughs> but that was actually something that uh you know I've been kind of wanting to explore that for a while and I've done some short films 
extracurricular to my employment. Um, and it was it was wonderful to to try that role out and realize that I was capable. And it was only once I'd done it that I realized I hadn't seen another woman do it. And I consider myself a feminist. And I, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, Kate, about people growing up now, kids growing up now, where they won't necessarily even see these things or think about these things. But it didn't occur to me that that was a career choice for me because I hadn't seen another woman do it. Wow. And so I, I kind of ended up, a friend needed somebody and she reached out to me to see if I knew anybody and everybody I knew, they were all booked. And I thought, could I do this? <laughs> and I asked a friend and he said, another supervisor, and he said, absolutely, I'll loan you my gear. Just ask me any questions you have. You can call me anytime. And I went and did it and it was a success. We actually got a nomination at a little indie film That's festival brilliant. for Best Visual Effects. That's so I was cool. very proud of that. I've done another one since. And then, yeah, I kind of... Going back to what I said earlier, I spoke to Dennis and I said, hey, this is something I'm interested in. What do you think? And he said, full support. Fantastic. And it, so I'm just I'm just very, that's what is exciting for me about this year is exploring this new part of this industry I've been part of for a decade or more. Um, and yeah, new challenge, but also maybe inspiring some other women that they should also step up and ask for this. And I think, you know, some of it, Yes, some of it comes from us maybe not seeing women as, as potential for these roles, but also I think we have to have the confidence to ask and to put ourselves forward for these things. So I'm, I'm really excited to do that for myself this year. Oh my God, that's fantastic. Thanks. I Very see a scary. I see a follow-up episode. <laughs> on I this. know, right? <laughs> no, totally. Absolutely. That's fantastic. I, do, I honestly don't have anything that I'd be super excited about. <laughs> That, I know that sounds. Okay. That sounds. I, I just can't make it up. You know, it's like it's. It's you know what we do is fantastic in its in its entity, and I think there's so many trends that come and go. If it's not you know 3D, it's stereo conversion. It's you know the, you, you've you've charted so much, and then seeing you know as I said the Jungle Books, the Lion Kings, and and the advancement of helping directors who are used to being the on set you know commanding a team to all of a sudden getting a realization that they can put on some amazing VR goggles and lift things around the screen and get stuff set up I mean that in itself it's already happening so that's yeah. the the technology advancement that I would have seen oh my god that's brilliant because it means there's so much more that directors out there now can get familiar territory but they're actually stepping into a new world in terms of dealing with it, whether it be full CG or further visual effects. I think the aging, de-aging thing is, is also fantastic. And I think the fact that really it all comes from what does the market want right now in terms yes. of, you know, whether it be a trend in, you know, teenage movies or horrors or whatever. Visual effects is, is an area that's full of so many experts and, you know, the the guys that are building the software, the developers, you know, it's not just about the guy who's creating, you know, sitting in Maya and, and creating the beast or doing the animation. It's like somebody somewhere behind the scenes is building this amazing coding and making it work and making it be efficient and making it happen yeah. faster than it happened, you know, 
again, this sort of gets full circle back to the technology advancements of like when you're actually corpse bride and you're seeing somebody build a rig or yeah. if it's, you know, through to, oh no, we've done that now by a flick of a switch and you've got this whole library that <laughs> yeah. you can pull from and we, we've already done, we've saved this, you know, that's... Just push this button. Yeah. Push that button. <laughs> fix it in post, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's just, that's what's exciting. And then, you know, Real Engine, all the various render tools now that you can actually get where you're not waiting, you know, gosh, the days of, you know, waiting for like a two day render to come out of some massive mm. scene. Um, things getting faster and the technology changing so that we can get stuff up on the screen quicker with all of this amazing advancement with, you know, the Netflixes of the world and the streaming and the faster schedules and, yes. <laughs> and working right up to the last minute and being able to do that is is amazing I think it just allows so much more creative and, and flexibility is there a lot of your time that's spent wrapping your head around the new technologies no not so much no there's people no. there that do that for you okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I guess I think I think that's the thing like you wrap and I, okay I'll, I'll speak from a production side you can speak to the supervisor side joe i'm very excited <laughs> to say um because in terms of understanding what that technology is you're relating that to a okay budget schedule what does it mean that i can get done within a time frame yeah and how many iterations can we give our client to make sure they're getting exactly what they want on the screen um and that and that's being very basic with what i've just said um, of course there's plenty of production people out there that will get their heads around but stuff changes so quickly and you have to keep your finger on the pulse all the time that you would just be weighed down. So it's kind of being aware of where your circle of influence is and yeah. what you need to. Um, but from a supervisor standpoint, I guess there might be a... Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was a production manager, I used to ask my, my TDs more questions than some people on the production team and they... I, I thought it would be annoying. I was pretty new to visual effects and so I just had a lot of questions and wasn't really ashamed to ask them. And they said they really appreciated that I actually cared about how things worked rather than sort of the need to know, which when you're a producer and you're looking after so much <laughs> on the client side and worried about budget and those kind of things, maybe you don't have the you don't really have the capacity to worry about that stuff. But I was curious and and I think that, you know, if you are interested, there's definitely people on your team who will be answering questions for you. They they love this stuff. That's why they do it. Yeah, they live and, and breathe it. Kinda. They live and yeah. breathe it. And if you if you're curious about how a new plugin works or what a certain tool does and why we use it, you know, try and catch someone in the kitchen and ask them a question. And I think that you'll find they are more than happy to tell you way more information than you can comprehend. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that it's uh, it's it's good to educate yourself as, as much as you can. And then it, I think both for producers and supervisors, it's great to be able to speak to your clients about new developments and why we might want to try something, what the benefits are, what the time constraints might be, what that might mean for how many iterations they're able to see on something for better or worse. Um, and I think as you go, you know, work your way through from the TDs and the the, you know, the people who are writing the code through to the production team, whether it's a producer or a supervisor, down to the client. They need kind of less and less information about exactly how it works, but I think it only helps when people have uh, a better understanding of the technology that we're all using yeah. and relying on to make this art 
Hey, well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to speak with me today. It's just been delightful.